This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join in on the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode or any other, please join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. Hi, this is Gary Graham, Ambassadors of All in Star Trek. You're listening to Warp 5. How we doing, Trip? Ready when you are. Prepare for warp. Course laid in, sir. Request permission to get underway. Welcome, Boomers, to another episode of Warp 5, Trek FM's dedicated Enterprise podcast. I am your host, Brandy Jackala, and with me, as always, is Brandon Shamatella. Brandon, how are you today? I'm not feeling very good. I got this really bad headache here. I don't know, there's like worms in my brain or something. Mm, you've been exposed to the reptilians, haven't you? Yes, um... If only you weren't such a good linguist, Brandon. I am an awesome, awesome wing- linguist, which means I'm good at decoding math problems. Yeah, apparently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I thought the codes were linguistic, but in any case, that's beside the point. We'll talk about that later. And also joining us is our other co-host who's always with us, Patrick Devlin. Patrick, welcome. How are you? Better than Brandon. I don't have worms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do we need to get you wormed like a beagle? Well, I need Brandon? to leave them in for a bit, too, because they're also the other worms that I have are making me slim down a little bit. I'm glad you noticed. Yeah. Yeah. I just got worms everywhere. And that's that's so awesome. Worms are the future. They <laughs> truly, truly are. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So we're off to a great start tonight with our part six of our six-part season three retrospective. And tonight we're going to be covering four episodes, the last four episodes of Season 3, which are E-Squared, The Council, Countdown, and Zero Hour, which I did watch all in one go on my first rewatch and then rewatched them again over the weekend. Nice. I had to watch them over the past week. I watched, like, one and then, like, another night and then another night I watched one and I I couldn't do it in one go. I got kids. Well, of course. You see, I don't. I'm childless and have so much time on my hands. Mm-hmm. Okay, the time on my hands is not true, but I, <laughs> I am without without child, so I don't have that demand upon me. But uh, yeah, so we are going to cover these last four episodes, and then that will be the end of season three. Finito! Oh. <sighs> well, we're going to have one more visit. We're going to have Michael Wong come back with his co-host, uh, Emily Emily Coots, Cuts, I can't remember her last name, um, and she's the co-host on Strange New Worlds, and they're going to come on, and we're going to have a discussion about the Zindi as a race, 
And I think that's going to be a lot of fun. So watch for that. That's going to be exciting. 136, episode 136 of Warp 5. Coming up in just a few weeks. So, okay, let's get into it. E squared. How do we feel about E squared? Um, I like the episode. Again, I like pretty much every episode of this series, so of this season. Um, I do like that we see kind of different things going on with um, the way they're going to go about trying to find this this weapon for the last time. Like this is this is it. It's getting to the point where we have to do something, you know. And we're getting really close to the end of the season, and we really haven't found the final weapon yet. So, like, on a first watch, it's a little different on a second watch, but on a first watch, you start getting nervous that they might not actually find this weapon in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've got this weird, isolated episode with this time travel story, which the neat thing about this episode for me is if you look back and when you go back on a rewatch, it's actually kind of been seeded throughout the show throughout the season because there's a couple of times when they ask Archer, they're like, how many Federation ships are there? We've seen other Federation ships in here. And you could almost think that it's this duplicate enterprise that's been traveling around the expanse that they've seen at previous points. So I think that's kind of an interesting little nugget that you can enjoy a little bit more on a rewatch. Yeah, I agree. Um, And that was even more prevalent and obvious to me on my second rewatch. (laughs) Which, even though it had only been probably about four weeks since I'd seen it in my first rewatch, uh, it was like, oh, yeah, people were kept asking them. The Zindi kept asking them how many ships are in the Expanse and why wouldn't they believe it was just the one? Now we know because they kept seeing the future Enterprise wandering around trying to find that weapon and stop it and failing. Yeah, I also like how the um, you end up with like Trip's son is the captain now. Trip and Paul's son are the captain of this new ship of the of the old Enterprise. But yeah. I love the the maneuver where they kind of mirror each other, so that when they attack, they didn't realize they were going to break into two separate ships during that battle. That was pretty cool. Uh, there, there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot going on, and it's really just to get to the other side. And they're basically told if you try, you're going to fail, and you're going to go back in time, and then we're going to fail again. At, stopping the first weapon and then we're going to fail again if stopping you from going through to stop the major weapon yeah and then of course there's the whole situation where Lorian gets really upset that uh, Archer isn't getting on board uh, uh, with the implementation of the engine modification to get through the wormhole safely and so Lorian just decides, okay, screw this. We're going to steal those plasma injectors and then go ourselves. <laughs> just like, okay, so how quickly did that degenerate into Lorian saying, no, we're doing this my way or we're not doing it anyway? And I found that to be interesting because, of course, Lorian wasn't brought up in the extreme Vulcan ideology. I shouldn't say extreme. It's just basic Vulcan ideology of suppressing your emotions. And so he can be logical, but he is sometimes, should I say, I shouldn't, I don't want to say overwhelmed by emotions, but he allows his emotions to guide his actions when he maybe should stop and think about it for a minute. 
because I thought, really, this is this these <laughs> these are your ancestors, and why are you doing this? And so I found that really just surprising in a good way because I thought, oh, you you better not do this because you're gonna lose, man. <laughs> you're up against the pros here. Well, I, I like how at the end of the episode he actually answers why he did it. It's because he's so obsessed with keeping the promise he made to Archer that he would accomplish the mission and stop the weapon. You know, that, that guide him. He also said at one point in the episode that he allows his emotion to guide his logic, which is a very un-Vulcan thing to do. But I, I like those two two lines in the show. Yeah. And well, the the interesting thing is, though, is that yes, you made a promise to stop this weapon, but at what point are you not honoring that promise by actually attacking the ship, which is captained by the man to whom you made that promise? Yeah, it's, it's, it seemed like an odd decision that it, you know, especially when he would have been, you know, taught by Archer and he would have been taught by T'Pol, his mum. You know, I just, it seems like a weird justification for what he did and a weird decision for a character who was had those people as his role models. Seems like an odd decision that he would make. Yeah, but haven't we seen that his father would be more rash to do something like that? But his father was extremely loyal to, to Archer as well, you know, sure. so there would have been that respect, that level of respect... And I, while I understand that they've been waiting 117 years for this to come to be again, it just it seemed like an odd, an odd decision for Lorian to make. Yeah, it's it borders on obsession mm-hmm. and ob- an obsessive hero worship when you're actually uh, trying to disable your hero in order to continue your hero worship and the promise you made to your hero, something is wrong there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> something is very wrong. And he he realizes that in the end, that what he has done is not the way to solve this situation. Mm-hmm. And so they decide, I mean, after Archer throws him in the brig and he cools off a bit, they uh, have a, basically a conversation and decide, okay, let's let's work together, and we can do this. And uh, interestingly, and I didn't think that this would happen, um, how did you feel about T'Pol going over to meet her older self? Yeah, that's a little strange, because you would think, like, I don't know, I, I guess I see it differently than... The show is portraying it, I guess, because they're not really typical Vulcans at this point. They're not our regular Vulcans. Because at that point, remember, they didn't believe in um, time travel or anything like that. She was just starting to believe, but Vulcans as a a society don't. So I guess they didn't really worry about the the contamination there. But that would definitely contaminate the timelines. But I guess at this point, we've already contaminated them, so what does it matter? Yeah, because if they don't go back in time, then they're going to contaminate the timeline by not going back in time and making them right so yeah well see and that's the thing if they travel through the wormhole successfully and are able to get to the other side for their meeting with degra then enterprise future would cease to exist because that future now never happens Mm -hmm. right which which is what we see at the end and they kind of debate it for a minute but it's really paradoxical because if they don't go back in time, then they're never there to tell them not to go back in time in the first place. Right. 
you know. So exactly. So then then they would have reverted back to making the mistake and going back in time, and then telling themselves that they couldn't, and if they fix it, that erases the fact that they told. It gets really confusing. So they just disappear and poof out of existence, which sucks because I kind of like the characters, but. Yeah, I liked the characters as well, and uh, it's wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. Mm-hmm. It's a very Doctor Who thing. But uh, I, I was actually surprised that T'Pol went to visit her older self uh, because it's not logical. <laughs> so, really? I don't know. I, think I don't. I don't. I, I don't feel like it's logical because uh, why would she want to know what that future would be? Because if they succeed, that future won't exist. So it's an interesting conundrum. But then again, she has been more emotional because of the Trillium addiction. Yes, she has. And it's really close to the surface in this episode. Her emotions are really close to the surface. Well, for these last four episodes, they're very close to the surface. So I just thought it was interesting. I thought, no, I thought she'd chicken out more than anything. But no, she went over there. And I, I, she... (sighs) Old to Paul, I don't want to call her old to Paul, elder to Paul, says something to her, you know, that Trip can be an outlet for those emotions and to let him help her. And I wish that they had followed that particular storyline in the rest of the series. But we'll get to that when we start a season four retrospective, because I just feel like, you know, maybe you're just being stubborn, but man... There was no reason for you to push Trip away. You could have helped each other. It's very frustrating for me. Mm-hmm. It's not very Vulcan to do that, though. So it, it kind of makes sense that she's very apprehensive, is a nice way to put it, uh, on doing that. Well, she's yeah, going to have I these don't... emotions for the rest of her life, like Flock says in this episode, right? Well, and uh, Elder Chapal tells her the same thing. Mm-hmm is that she'll never fully be rid of the emotions. And instead of trying to regain that control that she's never going to completely have again, why not have a better outlet for that than to have emotional outbursts that may affect her duties and may affect her relationships? Mm -hmm. So I just feel like she was so determined to do it the Vulcan way that she passed up what could have been a really amazing opportunity to have a deeper relationship with Trip. Right. Now, one thing you mentioned earlier, Patrick, that I wanted to talk about was you said you liked that when the ship was hidden underneath it and whatnot. Yeah. I call foul on that because they cheated on that. Really? Yes, because right before the reveal, they show a shot from the front and you don't see the other ship underneath it. Like, it's a direct front shot. I never caught that. I rewound it because I'm like, wait a minute. And watch it again, and I'm like, okay, they cheated. So, I don't know. Fair enough. I still like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's like when uh, that two-parter in season four when they're, like, upside down and, and Trip's trying to go from the one to the other. Yeah, they're sharing a warp field. <laughs> there were some interesting things, too, here when they were talking about the relationships that were built and, like, the families that happen and stuff. And Memory Alpha has kind of determined here, so when it says Flox and Amanda had nine children, like, Memory Alpha kind of lists that it's Amanda Cole, which is that Mako. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. That works. And then uh, Reed didn't end up with anybody, so he hits on that blonde right away. 
Yeah, I kind of felt bad for that. And it got really awkward. And so Hoshi and Travis are just like, um, we got to go. We're on duty really soon. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, uh, the old I left my blow dryer on. I gotta go. Yeah. Oh, no, my curling iron's still hot. I got to go. <laughs> Excellent. So this is considered by many to be a fan favorite, and it's not one of my favorite episodes. I don't know how does it rank highly for you guys. Mm, it it's not, in my opinion, the same caliber as the rest of the episodes of season three. But I don't. I I like it. I don't hate it. I don't think it's. Bleh. It's just kind of an odd duck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I enjoy the episode, but it, it's not making yeah. the top list for me. Um, it, it beats no. Fraggle Rock, but... <laughs> Anything I, can beat Extinction. Yeah. That's yeah. a really low bar. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's it's not something I would put in my top things of that season, but I do enjoy it. And I enjoyed it when I watched it again. Because the actor who played Lorian, I don't think they could have gotten someone better physically to represent the mixing of DNA between T'Pol and Trip. Yeah. I think he was perfectly cast. I find it interesting, too, just uh, to... Because Degra, we don't get in touch with the Zindi again until the end of the episode where uh, Enterprise of our current timeline rendezvous with a Degra ship and uh you know Tucker Smallwood has been in many of these episodes and he never got a name he's just Zindi Primate yeah well he said in the interview that we did with him that him and uh, Rick Worthy named themselves Deepak and Chopra (laughs) nice (laughs) that makes me so happy I haven't listened to all the backlog of Warp 5 yet I apologize now we have a name yes yeah so, so which one was Deepak? I don't was remember. That... <laughs> I don't remember. And he's just going to force you to go listen. Yeah, you should go listen. That's to fine. It. Episode one hundred and six. It's a great episode. Yes, I'll. I have so many to get caught up on. So, so very many. Right on. Well, should we move on to the council? Let's move on to the council. So, uh, what? Let's start with you, Patrick. What are your feelings overall about this episode? Oh, what do you can. like? What do you not like? Um, I like that we... I'm, I hope I'm not messing these up. We do see the the other beings more in this one, right? This is the one where they first start talking about the timelines being less favorable. Does that happen in yeah, this the, episode? Yeah, the, the Guardians. The Sphere Builders. So, yeah. So, we start seeing them start to talk about how they can influence maybe the timelines and that they're becoming more favorable for the humans and not for the Zindi. Right. And uh, this is when the, the, the council really starts to realize it, it needs to break apart. I mean, I know that they're trying not to sever the ties, but in reality you have three versus two in this in the voting of the council, and there's really no coming to an agreement at all. Two versus two yeah. versus one's half asleep. Make a yeah, they, they take like forever to make a decision on anything, which yeah. is obnoxious if you're going to be the one that everyone looks to. Yes. Well, uh, Deepak or Chopra, I'm not sure which one, uh, did say that their prudence had saved them more than once. We're not to that episode yet. But <laughs> he does say in a later episode that their prudence has saved them from mistakes mm-hmm. in the past. 
there was some really interesting stuff here with the Zindi, and uh, I'm excited that we're going to be talking about them as a race in a couple episodes. But, I mean, I'm really fascinated by this avian race that we saw, you know, and, yeah. like, that, that skull that we see, it's almost like a dragon skull or something like that, right? And It's... I, th- I thought of it like a um, like sort of a winged raptor or a pterodactyl sort of skull is what I thought it was. Yeah, and like th- this area that they're in on this planet was was built centuries before they became extinct, you know, and they've been extinct for a long time, right? So, um, like, it's this really neat area that they're in, and I really like the idea of this, and I almost wish we got some kind of a flashback episode or something where we could have seen the avians or maybe found out a little bit more of the Zindi species. So, yeah, um, the scenes with the council are very uncomfortable because, you know, we're the humans, we're viewing everything through Archer and Hoshi and just like, come on, just listen to us. And so just being really tense throughout the entire presenting of evidence etc and it's it's so frustrating because they have this reverence for the guardians and they just can't grasp yet not all of them anyway that the guardians are just using them the guardians only saved them to destroy earth so that they wouldn't get destroyed in the future. Right. And it has nothing to do with the destruction of the Zindi. It had everything to do with the destruction of the Guardians, which seemed primarily female. We saw that one male who was in that pod in an anomaly. Right. Uh, they were trying to see if he could basically survive in this universe for an extended period of time. And that's the only male we ever see. Yeah, that was back in episode Harbinger. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, all the ones that we see from this point on are all female. And I wonder why that is, and we'll never know. We won't. Or maybe there's books about it. There isn't. None of the none of the post-finale books really deal with the sphere builders at all. Oh, my gosh. I wish I was a writer. <laughs> I would invent something. Yeah. Because <laughs> there, there is curiosity for me in that. Is that. Why did they want to come into this universe? Was theirs dying? You know, why all the females? Was it because maybe it's because they didn't have enough males and they needed to get... No, because then all the rest of the life would be extinguished. So that's... I just talked myself out of my own argument. So... (laughs) Well, maybe all the males were just going, running around and throwing themselves in new universes and not surviving. They're on on Ryza. You know, and... Yeah, (laughs) they're on Ryza. Yeah, because that's what a male's worth. Just, you know, they managed to survive. Now they're going to rise. Well, the women are the ones who get stuff done, apparently, in this universe. But it's just, I don't know for sure their motivations for wanting to create their reality in our reality. What was the point of it? Why? Because they've been working on this for so long. They're almost in a, uh, like, an alternate dimension already. And they're just wanting to invade this. And I like I've often said that the sphere builders are almost like one plot point too many at the end of this uh this Cindy arc. Like it's it it's necessary, but it is almost a little bit too much. 
because for them to be the driving factor of it, they don't really get involved until the very end. We did have, we had the one episode before and we have had the spheres since the beginning, but I don't, I don't have the impression that they had that thought out. Oh, we got these spheres. We'll have these sphere builders. I don't like back in episode two, I think was the first time we saw a sphere. Right. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. Like, do you guys get the impression that they had this planned out, that they had the sphere builders back when they started? I think they were kind of trying to appease the network here with the, because they want. Remember, the network wanted to push this this temporal cold war on them, early on, and they they had some pushback, and that's why you had an episode here, an episode there, and it never really panned out early on. Um, so I think this was kind of like a a way of appeasing them. Okay, see, we have these time traveling beings, and they come from another universe, and they're transforming space, and blah blah blah, and then. I think, like you said, they kind of wrote themselves. Maybe they, maybe they had some plan, but they kind of wrote themselves into a corner where they now had to throw them all at you at once, deep, deep in the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I feel like the spheres were always intended to be the source of the anomalies. I don't know whether they intended to have this trans-dimensional race or not, but it seems to me like. It was pretty early on that we understood that these spheres were causing distortions and anomalies. Right. I, I think they had that intended, but I don't think they had the sphere builders and they were using it to change the fabric of the expanse. Well, it it does. I actually think that that makes sense in the end. Because if you go back and look at all of the earlier episodes, well, there are these spheres. Obviously, somebody had to build them. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, so. I agree it makes sense. I just don't think they planned it out well to get mm. to the point where they got. And I think In that's the why. End. Right. So at the end, you kind of get this mass information about them, or, you know, these like mass sightings of them compared to the rest of the season, where there was really only the one little hint of the one crashing, you know? Yeah. I thought they yeah. worked out well anyway, so it really didn't bother me, but um I do see a point that they kind of they are one plot they weren't they weren't fleshed out enough early on. No. So, yeah, where it just kinda of comes suddenly all at the end, right? Yeah. 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 So I, I don't know exactly why it happened the way it happened. I probably should do some research about that for my own gratification to see if I can find out if that was an intention from the beginning and they just didn't explain it well or if they just really kind of threw it in later in the season and it's like, okay, we got to hurry and get this done now. So I just don't know. Mm-hmm. Yep. It'll be interesting to find out. If I can find out, I just don't know. Hmm, strokey beard, strokey beard. And then we get the death of Degra. Oh my god. I knew that it was going to happen, and yet it still breaks my heart every time. He's such a great character. He's such a great actor. Randy Oglesby is amazing. He's fantastic. And such a complex character. So rich with just details. Oh, I loved Degra, and it just breaks my heart. I mean, he's he so good murdered. that he even gets tripped to feel sorry for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how good he is. Yeah, it's often Second. a question, like, do you think that... I, I think it's necessary for him to have died. Do you guys think oh, it's... absolutely. Yeah, you think it's necessary as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't have the same... The season doesn't have the same impact if he survives it. Right. Because he had his own yeah. little arc of of him, you know, developing the weapon. 
and you know coming to terms with it and, and not wanting to do it and and finally becoming to trust Archer and being his one support and then with him gone you know that's that extra hurdle that he's now he's got to get you know uh, Tucker Smallwood's character to support him and stand by him yeah and it's at that point that pretty much everyone else is on board once uh, Degra is killed and the insectoids and the reptilians have stolen the weapon well, except for the aquatics they right. still need more evidence but the aquatics still don't care they're like well that's your problem not mine right like we yeah that's so they can't activate it oh yeah well yeah but that's uh that's also <laughs> another episode which we're going to talk about next yeah. <laughs> so yeah right at the end her, of this oh she gets kidnapped so yeah just this is why they need shields for enterprise because good grief hull plating does jack and squat oh it's worthless yeah well, don't even bother turning on. you're just wasting energy <sighs> mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Polarizing the whole plating. Let's just pull a blanket up. Anyway, I've already said that one. Great. Okay. <laughs> it's great if I'm throwing radio waves at you. <laughs> no cell phone calls in this ship. Right. Mm-mm. Before nope. before we move on to uh, the countdown there, so we have this side mission where Reed and T'Pol and them are oh, going yes. to this sphere, and they're they're trying to get, like, a bunch of data from inside the sphere, right? And, you know, Reed at this point seems really comfortable with the May- uh, the Makos now. Right. Yeah. And he he and Hawkins have gotten their differences basically over with because Hawkins is the one that goes with them to this. And um, basically, when they're starting to access the database of the sphere, it triggers an automated defense system. Spider like things. Yeah. Very spider like. And uh, it just basically it grabs Hawkins and just disintegrates him like in an instant and Malcolm is really upset about this because he has finally come to respect the Makos and he someone's lost on his watch and he's just tired of losing people and I like how upset he is and how he says I think we're getting a little too comfortable with losing people yeah 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 that's and a great line. It is. I, it is. And it it also breaks my heart because he is so visibly upset that there was nothing that he could do to save Hawkins. And uh, there's just so much about this episode that breaks my little heart to pieces. Yeah. And I, I do I do get emotional and I cry. <laughs> Every time that I watch this one, it is not very difficult to make me cry. But yeah, and um, Major Hayes is not very happy, of course, that Hawkins didn't come back. Well, that's in the council. That's in the next one, yeah. Yeah, but... uh, (laughs) Spoiler alert. Or a countdown, sorry, countdown. Countdown, yeah. So, but but yeah, that that whole thing about getting into the sphere... (laughs) Because they were basically going through, what, an exhaust port? <laughs> so, yeah. And it was sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Camouflaged right. as just part of the outer hull of the sphere. But they just passed right through it. And I thought it was so funny that T'Pol's just like, maintain your course. And everybody's like, but, but we're going to, we're going to. And then they just pass through it. And they're like, you, we could have said something. <laughs> you know, every time I watch that scene, I'm like, she couldn't just go. 
it's a hologram. Nope. Like she couldn't she... just say th- that word. J- she just they, as they're arguing with her, she's sitting there, sitting there, sitting there. She goes, "Just hold your course. Wait for it. Like, Wait for it. Are you kidding it. me? Wait I would have con- I almost, I, I almost died before we even got inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that it could be due to one of two things. <laughs> Number one, she was playing a great practical joke on them. <laughs> <laughs> number two, I really hope it's the first one. Or number two, um, her more emotional state was in a mood to test them to see how well they would follow her commands in a pressure situation. But I really hope it's the first one. I or hope she was just playing jerk. a jerk. Or she's just a jerk, yeah. <laughs> or she's just a jerk, but <laughs> I don't. I don't really feel like she's. She was just doing it to be a jerk. No, I don't I, think so either. But it, it drives me nuts every time I see the scene. Yeah. Come on, yeah, throw him a bone. <laughs> Reed ate the last slice the guy of wet pineapple his pants cake over there. Yeah. Reed ate the last slice of pineapple cake. I'm mad at him, so I'm going to scare the pants off of him. Right. Mm-hmm. There you made, go. And she made everyone else in that shuttlecraft pee their pants. I mean, it's just the way it works. Yeah. So that was that was entertaining to me, but uh, they do manage to get what they need, even though they lose one of them, and they can't get back to Enterprise yet because Enterprise has something else they need to do first. And it's like, we'll come back for you guys. And I and I'm thinking, dude, you know you need this stuff now. But yeah, <laughs> that's just that's just me going, making me wait. Are they going to find anything that is useful? What? But they do. Yeah. Spoiler. (laughs) So, yeah, cliffhanger at the end of the council. Hoshi's gone. They don't know why. They don't know where. And shall we move on to countdown? You betcha. Oh, countdown. So this is where we find out the reptilians have decided that they're going to use Hoshi and her superior language skills to decode the third key to opening or activating rather the weapon and being able to put it online and destroy Earth. And she even says, I'm not a cryptographer. (laughs) So they're like, oh, well, we have every faith in you. And of course, she won't do it because... You know, she's Starfleet. She's not going to help the enemy if she can help it. And uh, so they they say this very ominous thing is prepare her for the treatment. We'll see that you're much more cooperative after our surgeons have had a go at you, basically. And it's like, oh, Lord, what are they going to do? But it basically is just injected with neural parasites. And I just thought I was thinking of something much more horrifying but that it she she actually sold it very well when they were injecting those parasites. She made it seem like she was in severe pain. Yeah, she's so, a good actress. Yeah, she is. Even much the better than she gets credit for. Even the scene when she's drugged, like working at the station, she she plays it to a T. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, she commits fully, definitely, which is uh, why. Her performances, I think, just fly under the radar. But honestly, I think she's really good. I think her character is well played, and I think she should get more huzzas for that. So, huzzah! <laughs> she's definitely an underutilized character, and, you know, this stuff at the end of the season, 
you know, the way she develops the uh, the universal translator for the Zindi insectoid language a couple episodes ago, you know, oh, like, yeah. it really shows how talented she is. But it's just one of those characters that they didn't quite know what to do with because they wanted to they wanted to go into the series with some not knowing how to communicate with other races so they would need to rely on her but that really hampered storytelling ability so they didn't you know that kind of was a a feature of Hoshi that came and went yeah you know her ability to be useful for being a linguist yeah and it's it's just kind of sad because when I watched the series the first time, and granted, I didn't see all of the episodes when they were first run, but I saw pretty much all of season one and two, and I just thought, oh, is this going to be another episode where Super Hoshi saves the day with her language skills? But it really wasn't like that, because mm -hmm. when I rewatched, you know, she struggles, and she works as hard as she can, and she sometimes she fails, and there could have been so much more done with her. And I think were it to be a series in today's time, that much more would be done with her. Because just in the, what, 16, 17 years since Enterprise first started, there has been massive changes in the ways that women are perceived and what women want to do in movies and television as far as actresses, what they want to do and what they can do and what they should do so mm -hmm. i'm just sad that she didn't get that chance to do more because it's obvious from this episode that she's capable of it well even like right at the end of well it's not really the end of it but it's it's actually kind of early in the episode but when she's ready to jump off the edge of that bridge and kill herself to prevent her yeah from uh from finishing the code like that's you know that's a pretty drastic action for her character to take and you know, they, they stop her, obviously, and I don't know, I like I like that scene a lot because it, you know, it gives her character this added level of like, hey, I'm willing to make this ultimate sacrifice to protect humanity. Yeah, she would. Her life against all the billions of lives on Earth, that would have been an easy choice for her to make yeah. in her mind. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it, it breaks my heart at the same time because she knew they couldn't do this without her. And she also knew that eventually they were going to get what they wanted out of her without her consent. Right. And that was a choice she was willing to make. If she could save humanity that way, great. But she didn't manage to do it, and I'm glad of that because I like Hoshi. Didn't want her to die. So, yeah, in this episode, good lord, the aquatics come to a decision. Miracle of miracles. Yeah, even uh, uh, Deepak, he's all like, whoa, that was fast. You're going to be it's kidding really me. really fast. It's like been less than a day. Absolutely crazy. But uh, I, I wasn't, I couldn't really tell how big the aquatic ships were because I had nothing to compare them to. But when they catch up with the weapon and Enterprise comes out of her, the main ship's belly, I'm like, oh, that is a big ship. Yeah. That's, that's like a dreadnought. I mean, that's freaking huge. But maybe they have it that way so that they have a lot of swimming room. You would, you would assume that a species that lives in water would need a lot of water, right? Yeah. Otherwise, so the water itself would ship. become toxic very quickly. Yeah. 
Well, they would have filters just like any air-breathing ship would have air filters. They'd have water filters. True. Yeah, but you don't pee in your air. Well, I Maybe I do. <laughs> we all technically pee in the air. Well, okay. It just goes somewhere after it we do. It doesn't absorb into your air. Make that. Right. Well, maybe they have special, special rooms where they do their... Um, excretions I don't, I, maybe I don't, know. I don't know i don't know if i got my fish tank i want the biggest one it's easier to maintain and yeah. they're essentially fish yeah they're essentially well they're they're kind of like well yeah they're yeah, they're, they're like really whales. essentially mermaids and mermen but they, they they act like fish so the more water the easier it would be to maintain the society right or the the workings of yeah yeah I, i'm still baffled by how they can they use control panels electric control panels underwater but I don't know. Maybe they have really good waterproof wire covering. Yeah, like life proof <laughs> cases for their phones. Yeah. Like. Yes, <laughs> those are great. Actually, they I are. have one of those. Me too. <laughs> I, after one too many times of dropping my phone in water, I just finally got one of those. Hasn't been a problem since. Um, and the thing that takes that finally gets the aquatics to make a decision is that they've analyzed this information about the spheres and have determined that there are four that really control all the rest. And if they can damage or destroy one of them, it will basically set off a chain reaction, hopefully. This is all theoretical at this point. Right. And shut down their whole network. Yeah. And so Archer basically makes a promise that they'll shut down the spheres. And the aquatics say, okay, well, we'll help you now. But you better come through. Right, right. Well, Archer also asked him, did they tell you where you're going to live? Is it in the expanse? Yeah, that's the thing. That's what got them to stop and turn around. Yeah, where is your home planet going to be? Have they told you that? Because if it's here, your planet isn't going to live very long because those spheres are changing the very nature of existence. Mm -hmm. So that's that's a great scene because everybody's like, don't make sudden movements, don't raise your voice, be respectful. And Archer just gets really passionate and still manages to, you know, like, we, still manages to be respectful and not yell. He's a great negotiator. And this is building up to him being, you know, I, I think, you know, Apocrypha canon is like he becomes president of the Federation, right? And, you know, he's a, this is showing his negotiating, negotiating abilities, showing how he's going to help develop the Federation and how he's going to bring people together in season four. It's true. Yeah. It's very true. Did anybody else think of the Borg Vortex when the when the Zindi Vortex came around? Yep. I certainly did. Yeah, like it's it's kind of the similar like it's a transwarp hub almost. Yeah. Sort of a transwarp conduit sort of thing. Yeah. Well, I now thought that, you that say was it, absolutely, but no. <laughs> when when I watched it, no. <laughs> Well, you know, honestly, I didn't really think about it the first time through, but the second time through, I'm like, oh, Borg. Yeah. Yeah. I can see similarities there. So you have to wonder if that was technology that the Guardians guided them to. I wonder. The Guardians are the Borg. I, that's it. The Guardians are the Borg. Tune in later on. We might talk about it. <laughs> Let's write that episode together. Right. See, but the thing is that these the these sphere builders though, like they they 
must think of themselves as the guardians of the galaxy. And now you stinker. You are a stinker, you are. <laughs> sorry. No, I'm not. No, you're not. No, I'm not. You're not sorry. And that's okay. It's okay to go ahead and make your joke and own it. And own it. Totally own it. Well, we've got more death and destruction in this episode with the death of Hayes. Mm, right after yeah. him and right after they have a heart to heart about how you know they're responsible for their people and and everything like that and then he dies in the most amazing way right like how many times have we seen the phaser go through the transporter like yeah what are there 729 episodes of star trek we've seen it happen like 728 times right <laughs> like it happens all the time and then this time it it's like neat because he beams out they shoot him and he's like ah and then they show the wound later on and everything it's like awesome i love it it makes more sense yes it does it does make more sense and and of course i hadn't actually seen these episodes when they were first running so the minute i saw that i'm like oh he's not coming back from that And and yeah, that was that was heartbreaking for me because I actually liked Hayes, and I I liked the Makos as characters. I thought they were an interesting addition because basically Enterprise was going into what they considered a possible war zone, and so to have these highly trained officers was a good idea, really. And, uh, you know, it's, it provided for some interesting plot lines and some interesting character development as well. And I was, I was sad to see Hayes go. Right. And how he's saying and... to use his second in command. She knows the team. And he's like, don't talk like that. <sighs> oh, man. It's and hard. Amanda Cole doesn't show up again like all these other Zindi, or not Zindi, Mako that we've seen. <laughs> <laughs> no, she does not show up again. Apparently, she had her fill of toxic masculinity and oh. <laughs> decided and gone. to. Yeah, decided you guys aren't worth it. Bye. Yeah. And then also with the Makos, it also it also spawned the debate that shows up like once a week on every Star Trek um, message board on where the Makos went after the series ended. Yeah, that's, so that was that's good. a frequent conversation. Yeah, where did they go? They became the red shirts. They just yeah. went to the security. That's what <laughs> yeah, I think. It's, it's like the easiest way to just explain it away, and yet we have to talk about it like they got absorbed once a week. into Starfleet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> and now people are yelling at us in Babel conference. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Don't use too many exclamation points. That always makes me sad. <laughs> Anyway, before we move on to the next episode here, I'm a little hungry here, so I'm just going to eat a snack here. You guys want a mouse? No, oh. thank you. You guys want a mouse? Oh, so yummy. Mm. <laughs> squeak, squeak. That, that was actually a really well-filmed scene. Because it was just like, oh my lord, he's really putting that in his mouth. Oh my lord. But you know, it cuts away just in time, but still. <laughs> How can we make these Zindi reptilians even worse? Make them gross. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and we should bring up the fact that um, the Guardians basically prey on the reptilians. Uh, 
what's the word I'm looking for here? Vanity, I suppose, by promising them that they'll be the dominant species. Right, right. And and their actions are even to the point where the the insectoids are like, oh no, I'm not sure that that the humans were wrong now, and that's the end of the insectoids in the faction. So, which which is interesting because I always took the insectoids to actually be worse than the reptiles. Yeah. Apparently I, I not. Even more aggressors and even more violent, but then even they're like, oh, Scott, really? he lost his mind. I don't know if I ever thought that. I always thought the, the reptilians were the bad ones. I, I thought the reptilians were much more conniving and felt very superior. And the insectoids were more like, yeah, you get him, big brother. <laughs> so, I don't know. Was, I like the scene where like he throws Archer and... Archer looks at Hoshi and she's like, you don't want to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wrote that down. Yeah. I forgot We're on to network television. That. We cannot repeat those words. <laughs> but in this episode, too, I think it was in this one here, when they're, like, talking and, like, just the way that his arm, like, points out at him, he's like, no, you killed Dagra. And he's like, he's got right. a big finger. Yeah. Yeah, you were the one who killed him, not the humans. Yeah. That was that was an interesting exchange, not completely unexpected because that's the kind of uh, vanity and uh, violence that I expect from the reptilians at this point. Yeah, yeah. Pride cometh before the fall. Oh yeah, it does. <laughs> well, so when they went to do this rescue operation here, why did they only take three Makos? Why was Reed like, okay, I need three volunteers. They all step forward. He's like, okay, you, you, and you. You don't think they could have used like eight more? I think it was to minimize loss of life. I think that um, Reed felt he was possibly sending them on a final mission from which they may not return. And he didn't want to expend his entire team on that. Okay, so he's like, I need three of you. The rest of you guys peel potatoes? (laughs) Well, up if in the it, mess hall. If it, if it, I, I don't know. If the, well, I think at the same time, if the reptilians can just beam anyone off Enterprise anytime they want, they could also beam people onto Enterprise. And what if they did do that and there weren't any Makos left to help defend them? So that's a tactical thing. Well, then they got Flocks and his Pytherian bat. <laughs> and, you know, polarized hole plating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that blanket is really strong <laughs> yeah. protection. <laughs> I'm hiding right under the bed. Just see flocks defending the ship. Ah! Ah! <laughs> I actually would have liked to have seen that now. <laughs> that would have been a great deleted scene moment, wouldn't it? I say, call him up. Let's film it. <laughs> Let's do it now. Yeah. It could be done. Let's we could do it via computer animation now. Yeah. You know, recreate the characters that way. CGI. We could do it. Right on. Yeah. I love the scene where um Daniels takes Archer forward in time again. You know, we get this reference to, you know, these are the voyages. We end up following through on it with a bit, but he's like, seven years from now, you know, this is when this scene is happening, and we see that scene again, right? So mm-hmm. I don't know, I like that I like that symmetry that we get we get throughout the show. Yeah, that is nice symmetry. It's too bad they couldn't have put built a better episode around that at the end. Yeah. You didn't like these other voyages? 
I like aspects very, of it. <laughs> there's a very simple fix that if you wanted that to be the last episode of the series, and the simple fix is don't put Riker in it. Just keep Troy. <laughs> no, just just have it be what's happening. Right, right. Yeah, right just have it be them. Just 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 have the second to last episode, and then go six years in the future. Boom. And then we're fine. If it's not a hollow simulation, we're fine. Right. Yeah. Because here's the thing with hollow simulations. It's like any other history textbook. They're never completely accurate. Yeah. Okay, but we got to save this for the next seven episodes from now when we do the (laughs) season four retrospective. Spoiler alert. Uh, We've probably said everything that we want to say about these are the voyages, but... (laughs) You're probably right. (laughs) Eh... All right, so I guess we should do the last episode of this season first, yes. right? Let's talk about Zero Hour. We have been. This is what we've been talking about. <laughs> More Zero Hour. Shran! Because there's... Oh, yes, it's like Shran shows up. You had to, to bring him back for the last episode. Yes. Oh, I, there's always a good reason for Shran. So interesting fact about this episode, though, is initially they intended to actually kill off Archer. Okay. This was actually going to be his last episode, and then they decided, uh, you really can't get rid of like the main star of a show. It probably won't work. And then they did Game of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> so now you can get rid of everybody, by the way. like mm-hmm. you, can, you can actually just film a new cast every, de- every episode and have it be one continuous story somehow. I don't think I knew that about them wanting to kill Archer, though. Yeah, I forget where I read it, but yeah, they definitely wanted to kill him off. They wanted it, that he had sacrificed his life to... Finally, end the threat on Earth. Yeah, and they thought, yeah, people might backlash against that. So, uh, film one more scene. He's alive. Yeah. Interesting. So it's uh, there's a lot of weird stuff that goes on in this episode towards the end, but let's not talk about that quite yet. Uh, so yeah, here's it's do or die time basically, and. We're basically split between two different storylines. We've got T'Pol uh, leading the mission to destroy Sphere, whatever it was. 41. What it, 41. And it, hopefully destroy the entire Sphere network in the process. And then we've got Archer and the Makos and Reed and Sato on their way to try and disable the weapon. Yes. And it's extremely tense on both of these storylines. And it's one of those things where, you know, even watching it now when I know it can't possibly end badly because there's another season of Enterprise, it's still very tense for me to watch it, even knowing what the outcome is going to be. Yeah. Do you guys feel the same way? Yeah, it is, and I think it's like it's the pacing that they've got of this final scene. Like it's they've they've divided it up really well, and I think that's what makes it so so tense is the editing and the pacing of it. Um, and it's this really neat shot of this red glow that's happening on the ship when they go into this area of space, you know, and the sphere builders now they can come on their ship and be okay because there's a little bit of this atmosphere there. But you know, you got the scene of them like putting their arms inside the messing up whatever they're messing up right you know, yeah the uh the you know the thing where it does that thing over there <laughs> right 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 on the thing 
the thing where there's the thing happening because the thing the they're trying it. to do they're trying they're trying to disable the thing that that trip is doing that's what right. they're trying to do right. right on the what's it called yeah all that yeah very technical here on warp five <laughs> <laughs> so technical we're so good at this we're the best that's the sound of us all patting ourselves on the back. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I've got the giggles now. <clears throat> so, in this episode, though, at one point, um, they're talking about taking out the weapon, but it would destroy the Enterprise, right? And am I missing something? No, right? This happens in this episode. Where Trip's like, Trip says something about having the, that he would destroy his, his himself or his his ship, and he, and he doesn't want to try and do that or whatever. And like it's so, it's not like getting through to him. It's like Earth or you, guy. Like Earth or you. Like make a choice here. Yeah. He well, he doesn't want to, and like put the ship at that extreme danger. But Paul kind of forces him. Right. right? And Which is the it right call. Doesn't seem like a hard choice to me. Right. Like, yeah. First off, dude. Like this thing killed your sister. So I would think you would, of all people, would be really quick to try and take it out at all costs. Right. That was like what you said in the very last episode of season two. Yeah, and now a season later, you're like, ah, we'll still have a ship. We can go like hang out on another planet, I guess. Yeah, and it's kind of frustrating because it's not, you know, to Paul brings up the point that it's not just Earth that's in danger now; it's everybody. We're not yeah, just saving right. Earth; we're saving the galaxy, possibly the universe as we know it. Yeah, she, she says it's also Vulcan and this and that. but I, And that kind of sways him, but I, I'm from Earth. Should, what do I yeah. care what happens to Vulcan? Like, I want to save Earth. That, that should have been enough for him. Right. That that should have been enough for him. And, but, you know, T'Pol had to... I think she had to have her moment explaining the vastness of what this is going to affect now. Because... That that was the problem with Malcolm is that he was only thinking about Earth and thinking still about his own survival and the survival of his ship. Because, yeah, they've been through a hell of a lot. It's been hell for them for months. And to end up having to sacrifice himself, he's kind of at that point where he's just like, no, we've given up too much. We need to have a win here. But uh, he's just very, very cranky about <laughs> T'Pol's particular ideas. Well, he was he was hungry. He was hangry. That's it. He needed a Snickers. <laughs> yeah. Why wait? Yeah. He just needed a Snickers. <laughs> he was hangry. Hey, ha- you've never seen me hangry. It is not pleasant. I, I do and say things I normally would not. I haven't, I haven't had dinner yet. Um. Yeah, hanger is real. It is real. Should we jump right to the end now with this? Yeah, let's just jump to the end because, you know, there's so much stuff that goes on. They're infiltrating the weapon. Shran comes to help with the battle. And yay, Shran! And And that's my favorite line of the episode. Shran's line where he goes... Tell him we're not even, he owes me, is my favorite line of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I love it. And he's so, I love how, how Shran is just so determined throughout this episode. Because, you know, towards the end of the battle, you know, you, you're seeing him on the bridge and there's like flames everywhere. And he's just like cool as ice because he's Andorian. It's an ice planet. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, jokes are just not landing. Today. I'm so sorry. <laughs> that John wasn't Bel- John a, Belushi. Wasn't a good one. John Belushi. <laughs> so, so a horse walks into a bar. I feel left out. I haven't given a bad joke yet. Mm. Yeah. Well, give it time. We're not quite done. Yeah. True. I still so, got final thoughts. <laughs> Do you? You are your thoughts very final? Very. So yeah. final. Yeah, anyway, so whole thing, you can't go to the ship because you're going to start the Federation. I don't care about your Federation. I'm going. And the poor Hoshi trying so hard to tell Archer how to overload the reactor because it's not just enough to disable the reactor. they got to blow up the weapon. Right. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And and someone else will start the Federation, so that's cool. We, we fixed that problem. But, yeah, we have to blow this up because we didn't come all this way to disable it. We made sure it's not going to blow up Earth. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he stays. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. of course he stays because Archer does this all the time. And it's something we'll, we might talk about in a future episode, but he is Mr. Martyr. That archer, he would rather do it himself and chance dying than send someone else to die in his place. Well, just like Kirk. Yeah, we saw yeah. that a bunch with uh, Picard too, right? I mean, like, which one of the movies the the Enterprise flies over and pulls him out at the last second as the fire's ripping through the injector? Insurrection. That one. I should know that name, right? Yes, <laughs> you should know that name. <laughs> the one that's in the Briar Patch. Th- that one, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you really should know that. I- name. It's like midnight. <laughs> yeah, you're good. You're good. So... Okay, so holy schmuckamoly, holy Nosferatu vampire Nazi. Yeah, I just, okay. Nazi Feratu. Nazi Feratu. Um, so... What what are your feelings about this? Let's start with you, Brandon. You the first it up. time, the first time mm-hmm. I watched this, I was like, "F this! I am never watching this show again." <laughs> like, what is this trash? And of course, I was there for the season premiere for season four. But I'm like, "What is this trash?" I remember that like lots of people were talking. Like, I didn't have a lot of friends and whatnot, but everybody's like, you know, Nemesis had just come out a little while ago, and they're all like, "Are they Remans? What are Remans doing on Earth? Are they the Remans?" And like. Yeah, and then they're not. They turn out to be the Urukai or whatever they're called. So. Yeah, but we will get to see some Remans in season four. We will. Mm-hmm. Yes, we will. So my bigger problem with that whole ending of that episode was they can't get a hold of anybody, so they fly a shuttle back to Earth, and they're like, oh, look, there's other ships, and they don't notice propellers on them until they're being shot at. That's your problem? Yeah, it annoys it annoys me to no end that P P fifty one Mustangs are flying at them and they're like, oh, they're friends. They, they had well, no they would, idea. They'd have no reason to think otherwise. Right. I mean, other than the fact that it looks nothing like a, a space shuttle and has no nacelles. Well, maybe their scanners were malfunctioning. Yeah, it just uh, it yeah, I got nothing. So much it bothers me so much. 
It was maybe just they a... were just they were delirious with joy that they stopped the weapon and they weren't thinking clearly. I want to know Fine. when did they go back in time because right they came out of the Zindi vortex with the aquatic ship. Yep. So is there an aquatic ship in the past? Because I just don't get it. Yeah, or did like at what point did they travel back in time? Oh, now you gave me another reason to really not like the last scene because I never even thought of that. No, okay. I did. I'm just like, wait, what? What? Yeah. So, so in my opinion, there's an aquatic ship that floated back the other direction, and like it oh. can't. Did it go back through a time warp to get back to its own time? Sure, they're way they they, they were way smarter than we were at the moment. Just, just that's a horrible loophole. That's terrible. I yeah. didn't even catch it. Thanks. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry now, to make you not like it more. Sorry about that, but did you ever go back and watch North Star and see that one wipe? Yes, I did. I did see the one wipe. <laughs> <laughs> Ruined that whole episode for me. Because <laughs> the next time I watched it, I didn't watch anything that happened. I was just looking. Where's the wipe? For the wipe. Where's the wipe? I don't know when they went back in time, but I mean, that's always bothered me watching this. I'm like, what, what point did they go back in time? So basically, we all agree that nothing from the moment they go back in time to the end of that episode really is any good. It's weird. It's it's really not. The only positive makes... is that Archer's alive, right? I mean, yeah, it's just it it makes no sense, especially as a cliffhanger. If you're enticing, trying to entice people to come back for season four, why would you give them a WTF moment? And I'm not saying that as an. <gasps> I'm saying that as a what. Because people no. love killing Nazis in TV shows. That's why. Yeah, so Especially now let's get vampire Nazis. Nazi. Apparently, Abraham Lincoln and Jesus were vampire hunters. So this seems perfectly well, logical. I mean, to me. I just did a commentary with Zach Moore for Wolf in the Fold, and we're like, Jack the Ripper and Nazis are like the trope of all genre fiction. There's like a, a Jack the Ripper episode and a Nazi episode for like all space adventures like i don't know yeah there really is though i mean it, it's true and it's bizarre it's it's easy to tell that story and everyone knows who the good guy and the yeah. bad guy is instantly right mm-hmm. <sighs> anyways it's just they try to make it so dramatic and yet if when you're watching it you're just like okay wait 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 what no 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 no, they did not come through all of this to have this be the next episode that I have to wait three months for. Well, I heard for. that they did it to try and get the next season because they didn't think they were getting renewed. And, like, even at that point, they didn't know. And so they left it with this cliffhanger. Like, there's a show that I watched when I was a kid called Earth 2. And that show ended oh, on yeah. a cliffhanger and they didn't show. get renewed. It wasn't a greatest cliffhanger, but, I mean, they didn't get renewed for their second season. They tried to get renewed with a, with, with a cliffhanger. And then... Now I'm just angry 25 years later, right? So, <laughs> and at least Enterprise right. didn't they do that. They just left to me you. angry and f this for three months. And no, no, no cliffhangers. Just a bad ending. So. They, they they did it like shows like Lost. What? Just a bad Lost ending. Lost is an amazing yeah. ending. Yeah, okay. Shh. Yeah. You're delirious. It, an ending <laughs> that I already predicted at, after watching half the first episode. Nope. Sorry. You, you don't understand you know the why? ending then if you think that that's just them being dead. 
We'll talk after this, but yeah, I don't want to talk terrible. about it here. <laughs> We're lost. Yeah. It, the well, I, I, the, there was a lot of really bad last episodes, though. So it, it just, just started uh, the trend. Yeah, Dexter was terrible. Oh. Well, can you think Seinfeld's of, last episode was terrible? Yeah, can you think of one Deep series that had a good last episode? Okay, besides Deep Space Nine, can I you like think of TNG's any last other last episode? Okay, outside of Star Trek, can you think of any <laughs> other series? I know a lot of people didn't like the last episode of that, but I thought it was great. Okay, outside of The Sopranos. <laughs> outside of this and this and this. Outside of any show that ended well, can you think of one? No, there are very, there are a lot of shows that do not end well. It's like no, they yeah, don't know. know how to wrap things up. No. So. No. Well, the worst part was that, for, especially for Enterprise, they didn't know they were actually... They thought they were being canceled in three, right? But then they mm-hmm. got renewed, and they thought they had four and five and right. possibly six. And then they didn't. Right. They just had four. So, like, halfway through, they were like, oh, we're going to give an homage to all these great characters, and we're going to completely botch it and make it look like they're just on a hollow deck." Yeah. But it was a love letter. Again, Only we got to save that for the um, season four retrospective, because otherwise we're not going to have anything to talk about, which yeah. might not be a bad thing, but, you know. That's okay. <laughs> no one would skip that one. Just so, like Stormfront <laughs> happened, yeah. parts well, one and two. Moving on to season four, episode three. No, we'll talk about Stormfront <laughs> next time. So, no, I mean, as season four episodes, that what this leads into isn't as terrible as how it got there. I don't think. I'm not saying good. I said not as terrible, because you guys are looking at me like blind stares, like I'm insane. No, I would never look at you like you're insane. <laughs> as I roll my eyes, that and no laugh one can see. Hysterically. <laughs> Oh dear. <clears throat> yeah. Anywho. Yeah. So that. Does anybody have anything else they want to say overall for these four episodes together? Uh, I think I'm good. I think we're all done with the season. I think it was a, a good season. I agree with what I said last time and the previous block was the best block in the entire series. This did not hold up as well. It's a good ending, but that last block of four episodes was definitely the best block of four episodes, I think. Yeah, I I agree. I do feel like it was a satisfying ending to the Zindi arc. It just if they hadn't tacked on that additional yeah. ending, I think it would have made it actually stronger in that regard. But what do I know? I'm just a podunk who's been watching star trek all her life so yeah i agree i think they should have ended it when they came through the the vortex and that should have ended the episode and then we should i actually i think it would have been better if the cliffhanger they wanted to leave you with was whether archer survived or not you know that if they're looking for a cliffhanger that would have been better i also agree with you brandon i've said it for every single block that this is the best block and I won't say it this time. Last block was the best block of four. Uh, more importantly, the best block of three by far in the season is in that last block. And well, Hatchery's um, still pretty darn good. But I love this season. This is this is my favorite season. So there's not many spots you can land that I don't at least right, enjoy right. the episode. Yeah, I agree. It's a very, very strong season. Fraggle Rock. <sighs> there's always an anomaly. <laughs> 
So, well, it has been super fun talking about terrible cliffhangers today, but this isn't the only thing we've been discussing on the network. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, The Ready Room. There's no one else in the scene. And Marino was talking. It's like, we couldn't even get like five or six extras. They were siphoning all of our extras. Our extras money was going to DS9 to put more aliens on the promenade. Now, yeah, all those extras were hanging out at Quartz. That's right. Because they knew, they knew, don't go to a Hutch Hutchinson party. (laughs) Stage nine, a podcast about the people who make Star Trek. When I was a projectionist, I, I literally had a masking taped X on the bottom of my seat. And then when the seats were taken out and replaced with, you know, new and improved seats, I was like, can I get that seat right there? So I do now have that seat in my living room right over there. You live with a very patient woman, Mike. Warp 5. So I'm guessing that a lot of the interactions were probably about 50% pa- fact and 50% dramatic license. So Okay, hold on a second. Are you telling me Hollywood's not reliable? you telling me I can't believe Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter is, is not real? Brandon. Really? That's where we go? Brandon, <laughs> we need to have a talk right now. Primitive Culture. A look at history and culture through Star Trek. So that idea of nostalgia is very much describing people in the same situation as the Voyager crew. You know, they're far away from home, they're wanting to get home. It's that kind of homesick longing. But maybe that's one reason that that we see this kind of transition from in the early seasons, this nostalgia for this kind of idealised Earth that may or may not really exist anymore, to in the later seasons, the nostalgia is for the journey itself. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and join the conversation about your favourite corner of the Star Trek universe. And Nazis. (laughs) You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and a written review. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and most third-party apps. And you can stream and download the MP3 from our website or grab the RSS link as well. And just be careful when you're traveling via aquatic air because you may travel backward in time. (laughs) We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. And there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, the listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to show and select Warp 5. That will come right to us. And you can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. So, Brandy, when you're not chasing vampire na- na- Nazis, where can people find you on the web? Oh, chasing vampire Nazis takes up a lot of my time. It's a miracle I can do this podcast. But you can find me on Twitter at Brandywine12, which is Brandy with an I. And it's a number 12, not 12 spelled out. You can also find me uh, elsewhere on Trek FM with Live from the Edge, which is a live podcast done on Mondays at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, the day after a new episode of Discovery Drops. 
And also, uh, I do a podcast with my husband, Dave, called the Dark Corner Podcast, which you can find on strangeanddeadly.com. And we look at things from a vampire Nazi sort of lens. I'm kidding. Maybe the vampire, but definitely not the Nazi. (laughs) And there is much swearing usually from me, so don't have the kiddies listen to that one. So, uh, Brandon, when you are not going back in time in the belly of an aquatic ship, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Brandon Metella. You can find me here on the network with new episodes of The Edge, which is our Star Trek Discovery podcast. And you can find me over on the Fandom Podcast Network with my friends Chris and Tom with a show called Good Evening, an Alfred Hitchcock podcast. And we're going through Alfred Hitch's films one at a time, and we now have our own independent feed Patrick where can people find you when you're not eating mice well when I'm not eating mice but even when I am eating mice in fact I pop in on the Babel conference I share my snacks it's cool um you know I I don't I don't uh... deep fried mice yeah well how'd you know that's the best it is a little little hot wing sauce too it's phenomenal blue cheese I share though I share I don't hoard them but other than that you can find me at the Babel conference you can find me on Twitter at magic drop five five is the number Uh, okay. <laughs> you can also find me on the Briar Patch. Um, that comes out every two weeks on a Sunday. And uh, I'm not as busy as them. I don't do 12 other podcasts, so that's about the only ways you can get a hold of me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I've got the giggles so much right now. <laughs> and I'm never going to look at mice the same way. Or Or me. Yeah, they're tasty. <laughs> or to Pat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right, guys. Well, we appreciate you sticking with us, listeners, for this season uh, six retrospective. <laughs> okay, I got it. Season three retrospective, part six. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not season six. I wish it was a season six. They canceled gotta... after four, so what Michelle, series are you watching? You. Look. <laughs> You just back off, Mr. Mice Eater. Just let me be. I was going to make a joke earlier, Patrick. I was going to say to Paul the to jerk. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Someone has to read the Patreon part because I need to go to bed. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to calm down in a second, and I'm going to do it so well. Okay. To to Brandy, read it to Patreon. (laughs) Damn you. Okay. If you would like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. And perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content. You're going to hear some of that. Producer credits and more available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires... A ton of money to produce, host, and distribute all of these shows each month. And we really appreciate any support you can give us. We hope you'll join us. Uh, we, <laughs> we hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all of the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. And at this time, we'd like to thank our wonderful associate producers here on Warp 5. And we 
greatly appreciate all the support that they give the show as well as Trek FM in general. Norman Lau, Floyd Dorsey, Mike Morrison, Tim Cooper, Justin Ozer, Mark Flessa, and Joe Saltzman. Thank you guys so much. We really appreciate your support and we're grateful. <sighs> all right, guys. I'm going to bed. Please let me know if there's any other way we can screw up tonight. Oh, no, no one uh, <laughs> did the keep calm part. <laughs> oh, I'm totally uh, getting... Uh, 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 I'm not done. I'm not done. <laughs> I meant for that part to be in the podcast because oh, I was quoting Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. I'm tired. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Keep coming, eat mice. <laughs> okay so thanks for joining us again boomers and we'll see you next week keep calm and boom on It's it's not something I would put in my top things of that season, but I do enjoy it. And I enjoyed it when I watched it again. Because the actor who played Lorian, I don't think they could have gotten someone better physically to represent the mixing of DNA between T'Pol and Trip. Yeah. I think he was perfectly cast. Well, what about uh, John Belushi? John Belushi. Yeah. We're all confused. I don't know. I don't. I, I don't. Is it no, too late you know to make a joke? I don't. Trip, trip, <laughs> trip saw Trip saw his father in the in, in the eyes, and he wouldn't have done that with with John Belushi. <laughs> it's too late to make a joke. I guess. I don't know. I'm been, sorry. Been a bit of a I'm long so night. sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I feel so bad now. I'm gonna go cry. Oh no! Oh, he can't I feel, cry. He I left over terrible. my whole "Where you can find me on the internet" thing. <laughs> but that will be released for three episodes. Shh! <laughs> Spoiler shh. alert! Shh! Do not, do not confuse the listeners with your wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff. <laughs> We're going around in time warps. We recorded three episodes of the podcast tonight, and. They're going to be released in different orders. And so. you can hear it mm -hmm. in the podcast we're now <laughs> delivering yes. to you. Yeah. Sorry that you get the the dregs at the bottom of the mug, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. <clears throat> anyway, so uh, I find it interesting, too, just uh, to...